Uh, I love what God is doing, like that we as a church get to be partnered both on a global and on a local scale. I mean, I, I was just think when I was thinking about you guys sharing and how the gospel is going out in the Himalayas and that we get to take part in that, even in a very uh, indirect way, it makes me think about eternity and to think about heaven. And I go, I don't even know the people whose lives are being touched right now, but one day I will. You don't even know the lives of people that will be touched by the gospel going forward in regions that you have probably never been to or will never go to. And yet, one day in eternity, we will have lots of conversation taking place going, oh, that, you were there. And, and, and gets, we just get to see God's redemptive plan unfold and how God was orchestrating so many details. And we in Hodunk Town, Port Angeles, Washington, get to be a part of that. I love that. I also love the fact that we don't, we don't just think of missions as a global aspect. We think of missions as a way of life, as a mindset, as really an intentionality wherever you're at. So missions is something you, not just something you do or somewhere you go, but missions is who we are because as Christians, we are ambassadors for Jesus Christ, right? So as ambassadors, God making his appeal through us Wherever he has us, we have the opportunity to be on mission, even in Port Angeles. And I love the block parties. I am, I was shocked by the number of money. Again, it's not about the money necessarily. It's like God is doing something and he desires to do something great to glorify himself. And so I'm just super stoked, super pumped about what God is going to do. I feel like the momentum continues to build. Not like the volcano behind me necessarily, but in a good way, the momentum is building so that we might make an impact for the glory of King Jesus. So I love the fact that it's not that was good and we're kind of putting a period to it. I feel like the book has been opened and we're just continuing to walk in those things that God is saying, now I want you here and now I want to do this and now I want to do that and will you be my conduit for my blessing? So Get ready, in other words. It's not pat yourselves on the back yet. It is because God did an amazing work this past week. But you know what? It's just a precursor of things to come. And I am so appreciative of the fact that we as a body get to participate. I was also thinking about this. I believe that one of the most unifying aspects within a church is not just doctrinal cohesion, though that's also true. But one of the more unifying aspects of a church or within a church is that a church gets to serve with one another. And VBS is one of those, those opportunities where it's not just a few people doing a, a great service for a lot of people, but it's a lot of people serving a lot of people. And whether you're nine years old or 90 years old, guess what? You have a part. Either you're on the receiving end as a child or you're on the giving end as a servant. And I just love that. Love that. I know Christmas House functions in the same way and the VBS is definitely no exception. Now to my sermon. There's a guy by the name of Robert Chapman. Um, he's not well known by most people today. But back in the 19th century in England, he was a very influential preacher in his time. He was considered by many as a, a, the, the, the apostle of love, and as Alexander Strout recalls, he epitomized agape leadership. 
Chapman was a, a loving preacher. He was a loving evangelist who willingly expended himself, himself for the spiritual benefit of others. In fact, even one missionary, he even said to one missionary, he said this, my business is not, my, excuse me, my business is to love others, not to seek that others would love me. If we just camp on that point for just a moment. My business is, is, to, is to love others, not to seek that others would love me. He was, it was, he was described in this way that he was a pastor who became legendary in his time for his gracious ways, uh, his patience, his kindness, his balanced judgment, his ability to reconcile people in conflict, his absolute fidelity to scripture, and his loving pastoral care. In fact, when he came to Christ, when God saved him out of a very successful law practice and grabbed, grabbed his heart, captured his heart for the gospel of Jesus, he took on a, a pastoral role at a church that had chewed up and spit out three pastors in a matter of 18 months. Thank you, IBC, for not doing that to me. I don't know about what Chapman was thinking, but he's probably going, oh, you've gone through three pastors. That sounds like a great opportunity. He was described, it was described of him that many pastors preach Christ, but Robert Chapman lived Christ. But there's one particular event in Chapman's life that was, is worth mentioning for our time here this morning, and it has really uh, caused reflection for me this past couple of weeks. You see, there was a clash that developed between two very well-known pastors. One pastor whose name was John Nelson Darby. You might recall that name as he's the one who was the, the impetus behind the Plymouth Brethren denomination. And there was another pastor that he worked closely with, B.W. Newton. And even though these pastors worked together very closely for a very long time, they were unable, or dare I say, they were unwilling to reconcile their differences. Chapman eventually stepped in to, to try to, bring, uh, to mediate the conflict and, and to bring some sort of resolution to the agreements and even bring healing to the wounds that had been inflicted, but only without fail. Unfortunately, the battle not only caused all kinds of division within the churches, but it continued to get worse and eventually it got so bad that it was a cause for everyone to say, we need to identify 12 people that are going to come in and try to bring some sort of resolve and healing to the conflict and the strife that has been going on for too long. Chapman being one of those 12 identified, he's known in that meeting to point blank talk to John Darby. And he says, Darby, you should have waited longer before separating Again, he's referring to Darby's inability to resolve his conflict with Newton. Well, I waited six months, Darby replied defensively. And Chapman's reply is very apropos. He says, if it would have been at Barnstable, where he was a pastor, we would have waited six years. As Alexander Strout laments, how many ugly, God-dishonoring church divisions and power struggles would be avoided if only we remembered that love is patient. 
and that church leaders must be gentle. It resonates well with what Paul, the apostle, states in 2 Timothy chapter 2 when he says, have nothing to do with foolish or ignorant controversies. You know that the only breed quarrels. And the Lord's servant must not be quarrelsome, but be kind to everyone, able to teach, patiently enduring evil, correcting his opponents with gentleness. We continue our study this morning through the fruit of the Spirit. And this morning we get to camp on two very important and interconnected parts of godly fruit Specifically, patience and kindness. And while patience and kindness are virtues that can very easily stand, uh, stand alone, they are also better described together because they're really two sides of the same coin. I think you'll see as, as a result of our time here this morning that they're actually complementary counterparts to one another. But before we see how these two virtues complement one another, let's first define what they are individually. So, what is patience? What does it mean to be patient? Generally speaking, patience means the willingness to accept some sort of delay. It's the willingness to accept some sort of delay. I haven't finished the sentence without complaint, without being anxious, and without anger. You see, the attitude qualification in this definition is an important part of what godly patience is. I mean, after all, you could be, you could be forced to wait on something or, or force someone, whether you like it or not, and your attitude could stink the entire time, Right? That doesn't mean you're patient. It just means you're not God. And you don't have the ability to control your circumstances how you want, when you want, in the manner in which you want it. So willingness is, is the, uh, excuse me, patience is the willingness to accept some sort of delay calmly and without complaint. Without overusing the illustration, though I know this oftentimes gets raised when we think about patience Patience effectively applied means that your blood, your blood pressure doesn't go through the roof when someone seems to drive slower than you in front of you. It means that the words in the privacy of the cabin of your car remain unspoken. It goes even beyond that. It means that the thoughts that you have in those moments are less about how do I get around this person and give them that stink eye, you know, and make sure they know how irritated I am with them. You know that look, that long look before you hit the person in front of you because you're racing around them? I don't know what I'm talking about. I just know people have sometimes done this. I would never think about doing this. In other words, patience means you employ what James 1.19 says, be slow to speak, be quick to listen, and slow to anger. 
Or let me take a more firsthand or personal experience. Patience means, and I look around to parents of young kids in the room when I say this, and the mirror. Patience means to not react with anger or disappointment or irritability. When my kids take 20 20 minutes to migrate to the van, which usually follows some sort of scenic route through a sand pile, the swing set, the refrigerator, the driver's seat, and eventually in their own food-encrusted five-point harness. And when all the kids are finally in the van, close the van. And what what do we hear after that? Daddy, I have to go potty. You think I'm probably speaking from first-hand experience or something. Patience means the willingness to accept some sort of delay without complaint or without becoming anxious or without anger. But let's go on a little more serious note. Not that that wasn't serious or anything. Patience also means to accept God's timing above and over our own. Patience means to wait on the Lord to act in some way on our behalf. To wait for his timing, for his provision, and to do so with joy and with thankfulness. Perhaps some of you in here this morning are currently in a place where you could really use some financial assistance or employment. Perhaps you are in a, a season in which physical healing is something that you've been praying for diligently. Perhaps you have been experiencing relational healing or difficulty. Perhaps you've been praying about future decisions that are very important to you, but to no avail, you still seem clueless or ignorant as to what to do next. There are all kinds of situations where we are in desperate need for God to show up in our lives and desperate need for God to step in because we are powerless to change our circumstances. And so as we do what scripture calls us to do, right, we pray and bring everything to God in prayer. That's what he wants from his children. He wants us to come to him, not because we have to make him aware of our needs, but as part of the process in which we come into his presence in which he does his greatest work in our own hearts and minds. So we bring everything to God in prayer. And scripture also commands us to not just come to him in prayer once, but to keep on praying. It's an ongoing, continuous action that we are invited into. Keep praying. And here's the second part that really is hard. And wait patiently. Keep praying and wait patiently. Without complaint without becoming anxious, without anger, but with joy and thankfulness. This waiting can be especially difficult, right? This waiting on the Lord can be especially difficult because God's timing, as we have probably experienced firsthand, does not seem to align with our timing. God's ways don't seem to always align with our ways, right? As Isaiah 55, 8 says, 
And what's even more frustrating sometimes is we know that God can act in a second, right? We know that God can do something in a split moment. I mean, he created the entire universe in six days, right? He can act very quickly, and yet, for reasons ultimately known to God, sometimes he chooses to act slowly. At least slowly from our perspective. I mean, you think about, about Joseph in Genesis 41, right? Joseph, God gives him divine revelation to the interpretation of dreams. He says, don't forget me, baker. And two more years, he waits in prison, forgotten. Or you think about the promise given to Abraham and ultimately to the people of Israel I'm going to do a great thing through you, Abraham. Look at the stars in the sky. Look what I'm going to do. This is just a shadow of things that are going to happen through you because I'm going to glorify glorify myself through you. And after 400 years, the promise has yet to be experienced. They are slaves in a foreign land. Yet scripture also highlights the importance, or really the benefit of waiting patiently on the Lord. We see, for example, in Isaiah 40, verse 31, they who wait on the Lord shall renew their strength. They shall mount up with wings like eagles. They shall run and not be weary. They shall walk and not faint. Or listen to Psalm 37, verses 7 through 9. Be still before the Lord and wait patiently for him. Fret not yourself over the one who prospers in his way or over the man who carries out evil devices. Refrain from anger and forsake wrath. Fret not yourself, it tends only to evil. For the evildoers shall be cut off, but those who wait for the Lord shall inherit the land. Again, so patience is a willingness to accept some sort of delay, some form of delay, and to do so without complaint, anxiousness, or anger. But let's take it one step further. You see, the primary context in which patience is most often referred to in Scripture is the context of suffering. After all, if you're not suffering there'd be really no reason to exercise patience. But the kind of suffering that patience is most often referred to in Scripture is a suffering that is uh, really experienced when you are mistreated by another person or persons in some way. So patience, biblically defined, is a slowness to avenge wrongs. Patience is a quality of restraint that prevents believers from speaking or acting hastily in the face of disagreement or opposition or persecution. Patience is, a bearing, is bearing pain or problems without complaining. That's easy enough, right? Someone does something that's very hurtful to you. Someone says something hurtful to you 
or you just get wind of many things said about you. And yet scripture says, suffer joyfully. Endure calmly. React, or excuse me, do not react when mistreated. You see, there's a reason why forbearance and other words like long-suffering are close cousins to the virtue of patience. And there's a reason why the standard in Scripture very clearly highlighted is to be patient, especially in tribulation, as Paul says in Romans 12.12. 12. Or a few, verse later, a few verses later in Romans 12, don't repay evil for evil. As much as it depends on you, be at peace with all people. Never avenge yourself. Or as Peter says in 1 Peter 3.9, do not repay evil for evil or, or insult for insult. Proverbs 15.18, a hot-tempered man stirs up strife, but he who is slow to anger quiets contention. After all, this is the standard that Jesus himself modeled when he was maliciously accused in a kangaroo court and ultimately put to death, right? Even Peter the apostle hearkens back in his own reflections when he watched his savior, his closest friend, be put on trial and put to death. And he watched how he composed himself. Listen to Peter's words in 1 Peter 2, 19 through 23. Peter says this in reflection on what Jesus modeled. For it is a gracious thing when mindful of God that one, endures that one endures sorrows while suffering unjustly. For what credit is it if you sin and are beaten for it, you endure? But if when you do good and suffer for it, you endure, this is a gracious thing in the sight of God. For to this you have been called because Christ also suffered for you, leaving you an example so that you might follow in his steps. He committed no sin, neither was deceit found in his mouth. When he was reviled, he did not revile in return. When he suffered, he did not threaten, but continued entrusting himself to him who judges justly. So is it any different for us? Are we called to a lesser standard? No, I believe that God calls us to the same standard that he himself modeled first. We suffer patiently because Jesus, the Son of God, suffered patiently. And he did so without complaint. What is patience? Patience is the slowness to avenge wrongs. It is the quality of restraint that prevents believers from speaking or acting hastily in the face of disagreement, opposition, or persecution. Patience is a bearing pain is bearing pain or problems without complaint. So what then is kindness? And how does kindness complement patience? Well, kindness is the readiness, to put it in a short definition, kindness is the readiness to do good. 
It is the readiness to do good. It is the eagerness to help, to serve, and to bless others, especially those who are undeserving. Even to those who do not merit such kindness. As I shared a few weeks back, kindness is love with work clothes on. It's love in action. So to kind of, I want to repeat some of those verses I shared earlier because I did not complete the verses. 1 Peter 3.9, do not repay evil for evil or insult for, in, for insult, but on the contrary, bless. Do not repay evil for evil, but give thought to what is honorable in the sight of all. Romans 12. Further down in verse 20 of Romans 12, if your enemy is hungry, feed him. If he is thirsty, give him something to drink. Do not, over, do not be overcome by evil, but overcome evil with good. Galatians 6, 9, and 10, let us not grow weary of doing good, for in due season we will reap if we do not give up. So then, as we have opportunity, let us do good to everyone especially those who belong to the household of faith. So how does kindness complement patience? Let me put it this way. If patience is the virtue that absorbs injury and absorbs wrong, in other words, it's not reactive, but is a passive quality of love, then kindness is the virtue that proactively blesses others. In other words, kindness is the active quality of love. It's what you do in response. Patience absorbs, kindness gives. Patience absorbs wrongdoing. It is slow to react, because usually our first reaction is of the flesh. And instead, what we do is we respond with kindness and goodness, regardless of someone's deserving status. Let me illustrate it in this way. On February 23rd, a very long time ago, A.D. 155, a pastor by the name of Polycarp, at the age of 86, proclaimed, I have served my God for 86 years, and he has done me no wrong. How then can I blaspheme my king and my savior? Polycarp one of the old church theologians and pastors, the old church fathers, he made this remark when the governor Quadratus warned him that he would be burned at the stake if he did not recant his faith. But Polycarp did not succumb to the pressure and he died a martyr and to this day he is known for his bold courage for standing up for truth and for standing up for righteousness. But this is not the only thing that actually is remarkable about Pastor Polycarp. You see, there's another quality about Polycarp that is worth highlighting, and that he was known for his lavish kindness, especially in the final moments before his death. Let me give you some background here. Polycarp was pastoring in the city of Smyrna, Smyrna when, he was dis- when he was discovered, when he discovered that the authorities wanted to arrest him and to force him to burn incense to the emperor. Now, to give you a little history lesson here, the Romans wanted to force Christians to recant their faith, and they did so by having them burn incense because that was an act of worship 
to the emperor and therefore a recantation of one's faith. But Pastor Polycarp hoped to stay in the city and to wait for the police to come and members of his church instead persuaded him because they knew he was coming. You need to go, you need to go. So he finally relents and he leaves the city to a country villa far away, unknown. He went, he prayed, he prayed for all the churches for great endurance, but eventually his location was found out after they tortured a local farmhand. And even though Polycarp technically had time, he knew that he could have escaped out the window and continued to be free. Instead of escaping, he served kindness to his enemies. I read a quote here. As soon as he heard them arrive, he went down and chatted with them. And, there was, and they were struck by his age and his calmness and surprised that the arrest of a, such an old man could be so urgent. In spite of the lateness of the hour, he, that is Polycarp, at once ordered them to be given all the food and drink they wanted and then asked if he might be allowed to, an hour to pray undisturbed. You see, in his final night of life, Polycarp was more than just courageous. He was also kind and hospitable toward his captors. What is kindness? Kindness is the readiness to do good, especially to those who are undeserving and who do not merit your kindness. How about you? Would you say that these two virtues, patience and kindness, are true of you? Would you consider yourself to be a patient person, willing to accept delay without complaint? or anxiousness, or anger. Willing to absorb injury and insult, and in turn to show kindness to those who have hurt you. Perhaps the question we ought to ask and quickly answer for our time this morning is this. How does one acquire patience in kindness like this? How does this become true of me? Well, first of all, it's important to say that you don't just decide on a whim, just go, okay, I'll be patient, I'll be kind. Because this quality of patience and kindness can only come from God Himself. Patience and kindness are virtues as a gift. They are a gift from God. They come by being indwelt with the Holy Spirit. There's a reason why Paul says, do not be drunk with wine, but be consumed by the Spirit. That word consumed or drunk is do not be, don't be controlled with any other substance. Be controlled by the Spirit because when you're controlled by the Spirit, then the qualities of, the fruit of that spirit come out, such as patience 
and kindness. But again, there is a part we do play. To acquire these virtues, this fruit, this parts of that fruit, two things are critical. First, you must have a relationship with Jesus Christ. Yes, people that are not believers can still exude a degree of patience and a form of kindness. But this kind of godly patience and kindness only comes about by the indwelling Holy Spirit. And not just someone that you acknowledge you know because you have your theology down pat, but someone uh, by having the indwelling spirit that is consuming your life daily. But secondly, we acquire and live and exude these qualities by reminding ourselves regularly of how patient God has been towards me. Do you think, I mean, do you realize how patient and kind that God has been towards you? I get reminded of that every single day when I royally screw up and when I sin and when I choose to be selfish, when I, serve, when I choose to serve myself over others. And yet God is eager to absorb the wrongdoing and is eager to bless even in spite of my performance. You see, when we regularly remind ourselves of how good and patient and merciful and gracious and kind and patient that God has been toward us, in turn, as we absorb and are filled with that knowledge and experience and understanding, we are able to give the same patience and kindness. After all, as I've said many times before, you cannot give what you don't first possess. So it's imperative that we possess those qualities by rehearsing regularly the good news of what God has provided for us through Jesus Christ. And we have the opportunity to do that right now, actually. We have the opportunity to remember and to give thanks for what God has done for us, to us, and continues to do for us through the death and the resurrection of his son, Jesus Christ. A verse, I think, that captures what I'm talking about here is Romans 5.8. God shows his love for us in that while we were sinners, Christ died for us. Is God a loving God? Is he a patient God? Is he a good God? Is he a kind God? When we were enemies of the cross, he did not judge us, but he saved us. When we were rebellious to the king of the universe, he did not smite us, but he took ownership of our issues and our sin, and he loved us and he saved us. And the reason why God does not yet exercise permanent justice is because he desires that all would come to know him. 
As Peter says, he has patience toward us, not wishing that any would perish, but that all should reach repentance. We sing about God's holiness, and yet he withholds his rightful place to exercise judgment because he loves us. And then he says, do the same. Follow my example. But to do so, we must be first be filled as a way of remembering what he has done for us. Father, right now, we just acknowledge as a church family your great love for us. Thank you for not looking at our performance to see if we were deserving of your kindness and your patience and your mercy and your grace and your forbearance. But you loved us because that's who you are. You are the very definition of love. We love because you first loved us. And so, Father, I pray that we as a church family, both individually as well as corporately, that we would, if we have not yet done so, get in the habit of daily rehearsing your goodness and your grace and your mercy in our life. Remembering from where we have fallen, but also celebrating where you are taking us. And in so doing, Father, I pray that you would transform our hearts and our minds in such a way that regardless of what takes place horizontally, regardless of what people do and say to us or about us or around us, we would be eager to show love and grace and to bless and to serve. Not because of merit, not because of performance, but because that's what pleases you. And that's what you've done for us. So, Father, that work that you have already begun in our lives, we ask that you would complete that work, that you would grow that work, that we would have the mind of Christ in every one of our relationships for the glory of your name and for the advancement of your purposes. In Jesus' name, amen.